You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. All right, well, let's, let's get into the preaching tonight. Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3, and if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of the scripture tonight. I'm at the risk of being an offense. I'm going to go ahead and take the drink of water so as to not defend um, the person who got it to me this morning and tonight. So, All right, now that's out of the way. Daniel chapter 3. It's a very, very familiar passage of scripture and one that uh, we've probably all heard about, we, under, we know about, we've heard preached. And I'm taking maybe from a focus on a different aspect from the life of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and this trial that they faced here in Daniel chapter 3. Uh, but I hope it could be a help to us tonight. Daniel 3, we'll begin reading in verse 18. I'm sorry, in verse 8. Daniel 3, 8 through 18. It says, Daniel 3, 8, Wherefore, at that time... Certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. They spake and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, hast made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoso falleth not down and worshipeth, that he shall, should be cast into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And then the tattletales. There are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? And he gives them an out here. Now, if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well. But if ye worship not, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and one of the great answers of the Bible, answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. What a great stand for God. These three young men, these three Hebrews, took a stand, and that's normally what you hear preached, but I want to take it a step further, and I want to consider not just the stand they had for God, but their view of God. Their answer to Nebuchadnezzar gives us a glimpse into how they viewed their God. And we'll look at that tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth here. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us in this very important matter to understand our view of you. 
that you would help us tonight to maybe fix or um, re- kind of recalibrate some of the things where, where maybe we have strayed or help us to be mindful of our view of you and make sure it's accurate tonight. Help us to learn from these young men about how we can change in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. How many baseball fans in the room tonight? Anybody like baseball? Okay, we've got some good baseball fans. I like baseball too. Um, I personally prefer t-ball over any of them because I love to see kids run the wrong way around the bases with the helmet over their eyes. That's always fun. But Major League Baseball, I, I was at lunch today and I I saw uh, the enshrinement into the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame, and there were some guys giving some speeches this afternoon. And, it, and uh, it made me think about baseball. It made me think about some of the great players of the past. And I uh, was thinking about um, a baseball player named Yogi Berra. How many of you have heard of Yogi Berra before? Okay, a lot of people around the room. He's one of the great baseball players. He was a catcher, and he played for many seasons but he was maybe even a bigger personality than he was a baseball player. Um, He had great success on the diamond. He was part of 22 World Series teams, either as a coach or a player, and he won 13 World Series. Can you imagine that? He's known as one of the great catchers in history, um, but he might be even better known for his yogi-isms. If you know what that means, he gave the world wonderful quotes to chew on, I have a friend who just this week I was texting with him and he said something trying to be funny. It didn't come across the way he wanted it to. And he said in his text, he said, that sounded a lot better in my head. And I think some of us need a t-shirt that says, that sounded a lot better in my head. You ever felt that way? You say something and you thought, well, that's, this is going to be really funny or this is going to be really good. And then it comes out and you're like, ah, I wish I could take that one back. Well, Yogi Berra, I don't know that he ever regretted what he said, but he had a lot of that sounded better in my head moments. He said, uh, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. Okay, took a minute. You were at a fork in the road and you took, okay. He said, nobody goes there anymore. It's too crowded. You can laugh. It's okay. He said, always go to other people's funerals. Otherwise, they won't go to yours. I hope you get that one. (laughs) He also said 90% of baseball is mental. The other half is physical. Okay, good. I'm glad that one landed. Okay, because that's the one that leads into the thoughts today. His math may not be right, but the point he's trying to make is valid, and that is baseball is a mental game. If you ever played baseball, if you've ever played softball, really athletics in general are mental exercises as much as they are physical a person can be a great athlete, but if they, if they don't have the mental strength or they don't understand the game, they're not going to succeed. Have you ever heard of the term in baseball called, and this may, be, this may sound strange for me to say it, but there's a term in baseball called the yips. Anybody ever heard of that? Okay, it's when a player, a baseball player, and this is a major league baseball player who's been hitting balls or pitching his whole life. And the yips are when a baseball player suddenly can no longer do something basic to the sport. And there are baseball players, hitters, that sometimes will get the yips and they can't hit a curveball. There are sometimes pitchers who get the yips. There's actually a pitcher named John Lester. He pitches for the Chicago Cubs and he's an excellent pitcher. But in the last few years, 
2007, he started having trouble throwing the ball to first base. Now, if you know anything about baseball, as a pitcher, um, if, a, if there's a, a base runner taking a lead and you can throw the ball over to first base before he gets back and tag him, he's out. Well, John Lester has the yips when it comes to throwing to first base. It started in 2007. He just couldn't get the ball to the first baseman. And for seven years, it progressively got worse and worse until the 2014 season. He didn't try to pick one runner off on first base the whole season. I mean, this this is a guy that can put the ball over the plate and throw strikes and get outs with the best of them, but he can't throw to first base. I mean, he has the yips, and everybody knows it. I think he's starting to overcome it in the last season or so. But one of the few people in the world that can take a baseball and throw it over the plate and get people out can't turn and throw a ball 60 feet to first base. It's all in his head. A professional baseball player doesn't need much work on his form. He's worked on that his whole life. But if he's convinced in his own head that he can't hit a ball or he can't throw a strike, that's a battle you just can't win. And that leads to the point I'd like to make today. It's amazing how much our thoughts affect our behavior. See, thoughts become beliefs, which become attitudes, which become actions. It's the key to affecting someone's behavior. Your thoughts, in the end, affect your actions. What you think will eventually be what you are. It will be what you do. If you think that sounds familiar, you're right. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Now, the Bible makes it clear that a person's feelings, passions, and behavior are conditioned by the way he thinks. And when you th- what you think is what you are and what you become. You know, your view of anything uh, can affect how you behave toward it. If you don't like your job, chances are your performance at your job won't be as good as it should be. If, you're, if you don't view your family time as important as it should be, dads, then chances are that will be evident in your daily schedule. If your view of the importance of this local church will determine how committed you are. And I, and I, I think the reason that a lot of people don't show up to church or they don't make it a priority is because they don't think it's important. If they thought it was important, they'd be here. Listen, your view, and that's why it's very important that we think clearly about the important things. Because if we don't, we'll find ourselves treating them differently. And we, and we can't afford it. There are already enough forces working against us that if in our own hearts and our own thoughts we think incorrectly about something, I mean, that just adds to the pile. Thoughts never just say, stay thoughts. As you think in your heart, so you are or so you will become. Our thoughts about something will not stay hidden. They will eventually be displayed outwardly. Luke eight seventeen says, For nothing is secret that shall not be made manifest, neither anything hid that shall not be known and come abroad. There are no secrets. Your thoughts will become evident in your attitudes and your actions. If you think it, you will soon be doing it. And if our lives are to be lived a certain way, it's important that we think the right thoughts because our thoughts determine what we do. We could discuss a lot of areas of application tonight. But every one of the areas we cover are directly related to one, I believe. See, there's one that depending on how you view it will determine the success or failure of your Christian life. And I'm talking about how we view God. 
No, my view of God will determine my attitude and actions as a Christian. As a child of God, my attitude and my actions will be determined by my view of God. I read a quote recently. It said, one of the greatest obstacles to a meaningful relationship with God is a false concept of what God is like. How you view God is essential to your Christian life. And I think a lot of people sometimes, a lot of Christians will view God like Santa Claus. That he's, out, he's up there handing out presents when we're good and he withholds them when we're bad. Some, of them, uh, some Christians view God like jack-in-the-box. And if I do all the right things, he'll show up. If I read my Bible and I pray and I go to church, he's obligated to pop out and have a relationship with me. Or maybe they view him like the old friend that just wants to hang out and have a good time. Or they view God like he's Scrooge. And he wants, to, he wants to make our life miserable. He's a taskmaster. And he's never satisfied with what we do. And he takes all the fun out of life. Some people view God like he's a crutch. Maybe we use him when we have a difficulty, but only when we need him. Some view God like Aladdin's lamp. If I just rub the lamp and when I need him, he'll show up and he'll come and he'll do my bidding. Some view him like the state trooper. And he's just waiting around every corner to nab us anytime we mess up. He's mean, he's merciless, and we operate out of fear. And I know those seem silly, but I would venture to say many of God's people view God in the wrong way. They don't view God correctly. And if that's true, your view of God couldn't be further from reality if you view him like one of those that I just talked about. And this is important because of what we've established. What we think about God affects what we believe about God. And what we believe about God will impact our attitudes and actions as Christians. Knowing that then, I think it's safe to say our view of God should be accurate or we're going to be in trouble. I don't know how many in here were in the military at some point in your life. I don't know if we have very many in here. But when I was a kid, I wanted to be, I never was in the military, but I wanted to be in the Air Force. And the reason is because in the Air Force, they would have those commercials of, of the guys flying those fighter jets. My last name's Jet, so, you know, hey, that makes sense. They're fighting these fighter jets, and they're, they're soaring through the clouds. And does anybody remember what the slogan for the Air Force was? And maybe it still is. It's aim high. Aim high, Air Force. And that appealed to me as a young boy who didn't want to just settle. He didn't just want to live down here where everybody else was. I wanted to aim high. Well, you know, I think a lot of Christians should start dealing with their view of God differently and that rather than assuming that he's something that he's not, we should start viewing him a little higher than we already do. It's time to aim high in our view of God. And sometimes, if I, if I assume God is like Santa Claus, and I assume that God is just up there giving presents to the good ones and withholding presents from the bad ones, or that he's like the state trooper who's hiding around every corner, and he just wants to nab me, and he's merciless, and he's going to give me a ticket anytime he pulls me over, I'm aiming pretty low in my view of God. Listen, we serve a God that's infinite. He's eternal. He's almighty. 
There's no one else like him. He's self-existent, existent meaning no one created him. He's always existent. He's the great I am. He doesn't need me to tell him what to do or have him do anything. He exists on his own. He's all-powerful. He has the ability to do as he pleases, when he pleases. He's self-sufficient. He depends on no one to exist. He depends on nothing else. He's beyond our understanding. He's greater than we can imagine. He's holy. He's pure. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's self-existent. He's holy, unless, and He's worthy of my praise. Listen, there's nobody like our God. And He offers a God like that, offers eternal life to sinners like you and I. There's nobody like our God. But do we actually think about him like that most of the time? I'm afraid too many of us think that God is like one of those characters. And if we're to live out the life God intends for us to live, it's time to adjust our thinking about God. Stop shooting low. Start aiming high. He's not Santa Claus. God's nothing like anything you've ever imagined. He's not like anyone you've ever met. He's stronger. He's more capable. He's more holy. He's also more loving. He's more merciful. He's greater than we can comprehend. That's the God we serve. And it's important that the thoughts you think about God are accurate because your view of God determines your attitude and actions toward Him. See, I would venture to say, take a step further from what I was talking about earlier about the people that don't make church a priority. And it's not just that they don't view church high enough. It's pro- it probably goes back to their view of God. Their view of God is not aiming high, and it's, re- and it's revealed in how they treat His church. If our thoughts determine our attitudes and actions, my view of God will determine the success of my Christian life. Listen, if you'll think great thoughts about God, you can live a great life for God. I'll go back to, it starts with our thoughts. If you will think great thoughts about God, then the natural outpouring is then you will live a great life for God. You say, well, I'm a new Christian. I'm a young person, or I don't, I don't know a lot about the Bible. Well, maybe, but it's possible, no matter what stage of life you're in as a Christian, to think accurately about God. See, you don't have to know everything there is to know. You just have to take what you do know and do your best with it. See, that's why we place an emphasis on the preaching and the teaching and the reading and meditating on Scripture. This is not just an exercise in education. It's an exercise in revelation. God's revealing himself to us. And it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, and it doesn't matter how much you have experience in the church realm or in ministry, or if you're called to ministry or not, if you will, with your whole heart, seek to know as much about God in an accurate manner as you can, you can live a successful Christian life. He doesn't limit it to those, as I said this morning, with all the experience. You know, this book is how God reveals himself to it. So we ought to take our time with the book seriously. It affects our view of God, which affects our attitudes and our actions toward God. If we want to live the right kind of life for God, we have to think the right thoughts about God. And this is how we do it right here in the book. 
And I'm not saying you'll know all there is to know. None of us will know all there is to know till we get to heaven. But listen, we should be passionate about understanding and learning about our God from this book. Do you love the Bible? I mean, do you seek it? Do you, I mean, very similar to what we're talking about this morning, do you have a desire to learn? I'm telling you, sometimes I've been saved for over 30 years now. And sometimes in the morning when it's time for me to open the Bible, um, I'm looking at it like i got to get that out of the way so I can move on. And I don't know, and I, I'm sorry to be that transparent with you, I'm just telling you sometimes that's how it is. And it should never be that way because I, the Word of God is revealing the nature of that self-existent, all-powerful, self-sufficient, merciful, loving full of grace, God, that we were talking about earlier. I should open this book with anticipation that God in the mornings would spend any time at all with me. He's revealing himself to you through this book. How seriously do you take your time in it? Do you check out when the preaching begins? Do you, do you check it off a list in the morning just because you can? Listen, this will shape your view of God, and your view of God will shape how you live your Christian life. It's of absolute importance. We need to think properly about God, and Daniel 3 is a great example of young men whose view of God affected their attitudes and their actions. See, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were young men, teenagers. They'd been taken from their homes in Israel. They'd been brought to Babylon to serve in captivity, and they were some of the best and brightest. Only the sharpest, most talented children were taken. And these, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their compadre Daniel, they stood out even from the rest of their counterparts. These men, young men, when you get to Daniel 3, they've been placed over certain affairs of the king. And Nebuchadnezzar, though at this point, has made a 90-foot image of gold. And he commands everyone to bow down before this image. They've got to bow down and worship when the music plays. And those who don't bow down, they'll be thrown into a fiery furnace. You probably know this story. So when the music plays and everyone is supposed to bow, these three Jewish teenagers refuse. Now, I don't, know, I don't think they do it in a condescending or, or prideful way. I think humbly, as humbly as they can, they simply do not partake in the act. You know, these men, they were so sharp that they'd been set up in Nebuchadnezzar's government to run some of his affair, affairs, but that doesn't mean they, they, ha, they didn't have to obey the king. Like, just because he gave them a job in the kingdom doesn't mean they can do whatever they want. He's still the king, and as we read Daniel 3, we know he's still very much in charge, at least so he thinks. So when he hears about what they're doing, he's not happy, and he asks them um, if, if what he's heard is true. And he tells him in verse 15 again, and I'm not going to read it, but he basically says, if you don't obey, who do you think is going to deliver you out of my hands? I'll read the second half of that again. But if you worship not, verse 15, you shall be cast the same hour into the midst of of burning fiery furnace. And I can just imagine the grit in his teeth when he says, and who is that God? Right? Can you hear it? Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, he's really throwing his weight around, isn't he? He really thinks he's in control here. He asks them, basically, who's your God? What he's asking them is, how do you view God? 
What's your view of the God you serve? Who's going who's gonna to deliver you out of my hands? What do you think about your God? See, remember, we've been talking about our view of God, and they, they get a chance to tell Nebuchadnezzar exactly what they think of God. In verse 16, they answer and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer the end of this matter. You know what that means? This is an easy answer. This is quick. It's easy. We've already thought it through. We don't even have to stop and think about it. This is an easy answer. We're not careful to answer this matter. And then their answer reveals. Here's their view of God. Verse 17 says, If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. See, they believed God would deliver them no matter how challenging the situation. Number one, because he's capable enough. They believe he's capable enough. They knew God was all-powerful. And what I, what I imagine is that someone, probably when they were babies, when they were young boys back in Israel, someone, probably their parents, set them down like, some, like we do as parents sometimes and opened the Bible or, or, or a Bible storybook and read them uh, the stories of how God delivered Israel through the Red Sea and how God took care of Israel. In the 40 years of the wilderness wandering, and God fed them and kept their clothes intact, and then He gave them power to possess the land. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I don't know if they're related or not, I'm not sure, but I can just imagine all of them, like my kids sometimes when I tell them stories, wide-eyed, just listening to every, every word, hanging on every word, thinking, oh, what a great story. I love telling my kids stories. I love to let, see their imagination light up. And you know, at one point, as a child, as children, as young boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego heard those same stories. Somebody had planted seeds in their mind as young boys that God is able. He's powerful. He's strong. There's nobody stronger than God. And if he can part the Red Sea, and if he can deliver the land of Canaan into the hand of the Israelites, then he can deliver us someday out of a burning fiery furnace. And they believe that God would deliver them because he's capable enough. They knew their God was bigger than Nebuchadnezzar. They also give implication as to something else that they believe here about their God when, when they say, if it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. See, they say not only can he, but we believe he will. And you know, that word will expresses desire, like God's will. In other words, they're saying, we know God cares about His people. He desires to deliver us. Listen, so they believe that God could deliver them because He's capable enough. But they also believe God could deliver them because He's caring enough. In other words, they're saying, God wills. They're saying, God doesn't want to leave us to die in the hands of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, they're saying, God loves us so much. He would not just leave us to die all alone in this situation. We believe he's capable enough. We believe he wants to. He's caring enough. But I love the way that they give a caveat here. Because they say, we believe that he can. We believe he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. Verse 18. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that will not serve thy gods, 
nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. So they believe God was capable, they believe he was caring, and they believe God was deserving of their worship no matter what he chose. They still said, he's still the only God worthy. Yeah, yes, God is capable, and he can very easily save us out of your small puny hands, Nebuchadnezzar. And yes, God is caring. He loves his children. He never leaves us or forsakes us. We know that's true too. But listen, Nebuchadnezzar, if not, your God still can't hold a candle to the God we serve. He's capable enough, he's caring enough, and he's still the only one worthy enough. That's our God. And that's the answer that they give. And their answer gives insight into their view of their God. They serve a holy God. They serve the only God. See, holy, God is holy, and they knew it. Holy means sinless and pure, but it also means other than. Meaning, He's the only one. There's nobody else like our God. That's what they're saying. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew it. And that's why it's a no-brainer. Because in their minds, he's the only one. You can have your gods. You can build a 90-foot statue. You can make statues and lay them out in your houses. And you can bow down. And you can worship them all you ever want to. But there's still, Nebuchadnezzar, only one God. That's our God. Why would we bow to anybody else? Why would we bow to anything else? See, I love this story because these are young people who think highly of the God they serve. They weren't just aiming low with their thoughts about God. And, and I don't just mean what they said, because we can all be all talk sometimes, can't we? I mean, we can tell their thoughts about God based on their actions in this situation. They stood up to a king who held their lives in his hands, and yet they refused to compromise their belief or their view of their God. And they weren't just saying it. They weren't just in, you know, in the shadows before the music started saying, oh, our God is capable, and our God is caring, and our God is worthy. And then the music starts, and they're on their face like everybody else. You know, they were saying what they believed, but they were also giving evidence to their view of God in their actions here. You know, we can assume some things about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego based on their actions. And if our view of God affects our attitudes and actions, then the reverse is true. Our attitudes and actions reveal our view of God. Isn't that true? If our view of God will determine our attitudes and actions, then our attitudes and actions will reveal our view of God. The reverse has to be true, and we know what, that what they're saying is true. So we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's actions say very, very much about their view of God. It says that our God, when it comes to our view, we're aiming high. And if these young men had caved into the pressure placed on them, what could be assumed about their view of God? We could probably at that point say, well, they say they aim high, but really their view of God shows that they're aiming pretty low. He's not as significant as they're claiming. See, they lived great lives for God because they had great view of God. Christian, what can be assumed about what you think about God based on the evidence in your life? If someone can look at your attitude, if someone can, can, take, a, can take just a glimpse or take a snapshot of your attitude on an average, in the average moment of the day, what would that say about your view of God? 
If someone could take a snapshot of your actions when nobody else is looking and you're not dressed up for church and you're not sitting in the pews, what would they assume about your view of God based on that snapshot of time? Because our attitudes and actions reveal, they give evidence to our view of God. So when something doesn't go your way, do you get angry or do you view God's hands of sovereignty as capable of helping overcome it? Because how you respond when something doesn't go your way is a revealer of your view of God. When you face, a, a, maybe when you feel left alone, or nobody's around and nobody helps you, or nobody's with you, do your emotions win, or do you believe the Bible when it says, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee? When it comes to your commitment to this local church, how easily do you allow excuses to come in and convince you that it's okay to miss a service or that it's okay to skip an activity or to skip a work day? Is your commitment to involvement or attendance, is it strong or weak? Because you can say what you want and I can say what I want, but my attitude and my actions toward this local church reveal if my view of God is high or low. If you view God as the one God who is worthy to be worshipped, no matter what happens in your life, and then serving Him is a no-brainer, well, then we can assume that you're aiming high when you're dealing with some sin. How about this one when you're dealing with a trial? Some trial in your life comes along and you don't understand it. It's a test of faith. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were dealing with. They have a test of faith, and they're standing there, and they're facing something bigger than they could even comprehend. You know, when you face a trial or test like that, what does it reveal about your view of God? If there's health issues or financial issues or a broken relationship, you know, something happens at work you weren't planning on. Do you give in to despair, or do you allow the Bible to shape your view of God's ability and his love toward you. When you face a trial or test of faith, it's a great revealer of your view of God. See, listen, he's still capable. The same God who, who was at creation and spoke the worlds into existence. That's the God that has promised never to leave or forsake you. He's still caring. And if you don't believe that he cares for you, then just look at that symbol, the cross. Because sometimes there, you know, people don't understand and they think, well, God doesn't love me or God doesn't notice me or he doesn't care for me. But all we have to do is point them to the cross of Jesus Christ to let them know. Now, there's absolutely no doubt the evidence is there that God loves you greatly. He proved it on a tree 2,000 years ago. He's still capable, and he's still caring, and he's still uniquely worthy. There's only one God like him, and even if you don't get the answers that you think you deserve or that you don't get the answers that make sense to you, even but if not, the Bible says in, in Daniel 3, there's still only one God. And he's high enough, and he's holy enough, and he's powerful enough, and he's so far beyond my thoughts that I still trust him, even if it makes absolutely no sense in this moment. You know, someday we're all going to face something bigger than we can handle. And we will have, listen, we will have nothing except our view of God to determine our response in that moment. A friend won't be enough. 
And that's a lot of times that's where God's people turn immediately to some other person. But listen, there's going someday to be something that's too big for, the, for your friends. Someday you're going to face something that's bigger than what your money or your savings account can handle. Someday you will face something that's bigger than your experience, your life experience, or your, your position at work, or your, I mean, your emotions someday are going to run out. And listen, your view of God, or can we say your faith, will determine your attitude and ultimately your actions in that circumstance. And just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your thoughts about God and your beliefs regarding Him will be the deciding factor on whether you succeed or you fail in that moment. Listen, God is capable, He's caring, and He's worthy. But our natural way is to live without thinking about him. Psalm 10, 4 says the wicked will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. See, man's natural way is not just to aim low. If we're left to ourselves, we would not think about God at all. See, what's interesting is mankind can exist without thinking about God, or maybe we can think too low about God, but God never thinks low about us. The Bible says in Psalm 139, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. See, God thinks, listen, God thinks great thoughts about you. And he thinks great thoughts about you all the time. Psalm 40 says, Many, O Lord, my my God, are thy wonderful works which thou hast done, and thy thoughts which are to usward. And at the end of the chapter it says, I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. See, God's thoughts towards sinners are higher and more frequent than the thoughts sinners have toward God. And it seems like a contrast But God isn't above thinking great thoughts about you. So as his child, as one who's benefited from his redemption, what a tragedy that I would not think great thoughts about him. When all the time the Bible says he's thinking great thoughts about what I could be. And he's thinking great thoughts about how he wants to deliver me through something or how he wants to teach me something or how he wants to build my faith through this circumstance. And yet I miss the whole point because I'm aiming too low. And all the time, the God of the universe, the creator God in heaven is thinking great thoughts about me. Listen, if he thinks like that about me, then it's time for me to adjust my thinking about him. And in doing so, my attitudes and actions will follow. We get so frustrated, don't we? Because we can't be what we're supposed to be. And I can't make things happen the way I want them to. But if you think about God in the way that he deserves and you aim high, your attitudes and your actions will come in line. We'll find the trials easier to bear. I'm not saying they're easy. But they'll be easier. Because we have hope that Brother Ruckman talked about. 
you know, if, if you think great thoughts about God, if you think him, about him in the way he deserves, you'll find victory over that sin. It will be possible. But listen, if you don't think about God correctly, you will probably be bound your whole life. We'll find our relationships with others getting right. Sometimes we wonder, why can't I get along? Or why can't we just get along? And nothing seems to work. Well, when our thoughts about God come in line, it's amazing how many things it fixes. You know, if we think about God in the way he deserves, we'll start to love the lost like we should. Because the more that you read about God, the more that you understand from this book that he pursues sinners. And he loves people. And God so loved the world. Listen, I wouldn't even know any of that if he hadn't revealed it to me through his word. But it changed my thinking. And it helped me to understand how he thinks. And my attitude and my actions. If I understand that God is about missions and God is about souls and God is about loving people. If I understand that and I read enough about it and it, and it, and it soaks in enough, then I will be about souls. And I'll be about loving people. For God so loved the world. And if I know that, if I think that, it'll bring me into line. See, our view of God's house will start to be elevated to its right place. Listen, our thinking about God fixes just about everything. So what does the way you live your life say about the thoughts you think about God? It's time to aim high, Christian. God is a great God. And he deserves great thoughts because he's that capable. And because he's that caring. Because he's that uniquely worthy. And no, nothing else is. See, when we think great thoughts about him, we'll put ourselves in position to live great lives for him. Lives that he's designed us to live. And a lot of times it just comes to how we think. You know, they say 90% of baseball is mental and the other half is physical. Well, really, Christianity, really, it starts with our thoughts, how we view God. And if our thinking is right, everything else will come in line. But if it's off, watch out. You've heard about the yips in baseball. Well, you'll probably find out what it's like to have them as a Christian, too. It starts with how you view this wonderful God that we serve. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.